Good morning. You may be seated. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm really glad to welcome you here today. It's been a great day of worship, and we have a great study from God's Word today. And my prayer is that the Spirit will speak to you and lead us into the freedom that uh, God brings when we submit to and are obedient to His Word. I wanted to give you a couple of updates about some prayer requests. And one thing we actually prayed about in our service last week was um, that we have a family member named Rick who was um, put on a ventilator last week and it has been uh, touch and go a bit, but uh, we're still praying and he's getting better. And so we are absolutely thanking God for answering our prayers. And we also have a member of our church family that uh, has been in Afghanistan for a week. And so we're praying for uh, courage and protection and the, the safety and the efficacy of their mission. So uh, you guys be sure and keep Rick and uh, our soldiers in Afghanistan in your prayer. We know that um, it's a declaration of faith anytime we pray because we're turning to our Heavenly Father who pr promises to hear and answer our prayers. So... Um, Let's pray, all right? Father, thank you so much for the privilege of worshiping you today. We're thankful, Lord, that the victory was won by Christ on the cross. We know that in his name there is healing and hope and grace and protection and purpose. And so, Lord, I pray that we would um, submit to the character of his name today as we declare him Lord. I pray for Rick, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen him and keep those numbers moving in the right direction. And I pray for um, our soldiers that you would give them success and courage and protection for their mission. And now, Father, open our eyes that we can see wonderful things in your word. Give us the courage to align our hearts with your will. It's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. All right, let, you guys know about the Apostle Paul, right? A prolific writer, prolific church planner, a uh, winner of souls. He, he produced possibly the, the greatest and the grandest vision of love that words could express. In 1 Corinthians 13, he wrote about what love is and is not, what love does and does not do. And at one point, he conveyed an inescapable truth. He said, love forgives. Love forgives. Do you, do you remember how he put it? He said, love keeps no record of wrongs. We just ought to let that soak in a moment. Love keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, when love is wronged, it forgives, and then it shreds the files. It forgives and shreds the files. You know who Clara Barton was? She was the founder of the American Red Cross. She was once having a conversation with a close friend who, for some inexplicable reason, thought that she should remind Miss Barton of an especially cruel thing that happened to her years before. 
Uh, and as she was talking to her about that event, it became clear to her that Claire Barton didn't seem to recall what actually happened. And so her friend said, don't, don't you remember? How could you forget? And Clara Barton said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting it. That's what forgiveness does. Love, forgiving, keeps no record of wrongs. And, and of course, of course, we just need to admit that that's easier said than done. But what we learn from the scripture is that if we are following Jesus and walking in his spirit, he equips us to do what the Bible commands us to do. So when God says love keeps no record of wrongs, God makes it possible if we're following him to keep no record of wrongs. Now the parable that we're going to look at today gives us insight into how we can live in the freedom of forgiveness without accumulating all those files of grievance that we so anxiously grab. Now, Jesus actually told this story in response to a question that Peter asked that was specifically about keeping a record of wrongs. So I want you, if you have your Bibles or your phones, however you access the scripture, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to be reading... A good portion of chapter 18, but we're going to begin in verse 21 so we can understand the context. We know that if we're going to understand Scripture, we need to understand the context of Scripture. And this is the context in which Jesus decided to tell this very familiar story that we're going to read in a few moments. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Remember, he's, he's going to be talking about keeping a record of wrongs. Lord, how, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister, my fellow Jews, who sin against me? Those close to me, those I love, the ones I do life with. Up to seven times? Is that the number? <laughs> Jesus answered, Peter, I tell you, it's not seven times, but 77 times. Now, forgiveness was then, and obviously is now a hot-button topic, because as long as there has been sin in the world, there has been a need for forgiveness. As long as there's been sin in the world, there's been need for forgiveness. Now, we, we know that when God created the heavens and the earth, he created everything. He did it in six days, the scripture says. Uh, and after each day of creation, he said, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. He got to people and said, that is very good. But God actually wasn't finished with creation. Okay, when sin came into the world, there was one more thing that needed creating. After the fall, he went back to work, inventing what John Ortberg calls, and I quote, a kind of spiritual surgery that can remove what's toxic to the heart and make dead relationships live again. The new creation is called forgiveness. 
In some ways, it was his last best gift to the human race, as it is the only force strong enough to heal relationships damaged by hatred and betrayal. Forgiveness. God's idea. God's gift. And a pathway to healing. Now, Peter, having followed Jesus at this point for about three years, obviously recognizes the importance of forgiveness. He's, he's seen Jesus offer it liberally to the staggered, those staggered by life, and to those who are staggering. And as a disciple of Jesus, he wants to get it all right. And what the Jews knew, every rabbi taught, that forgiveness was required three times. If a brother... If a fellow Jew sinned against you, the teaching of the law was that you should forgive three times. And then after the third time, all bets were off. You just go for it. Do whatever you need to do to settle the score. And so Peter knew that Jesus had a little bit of a, or maybe a lot of bit of a different attitude toward forgiveness. And, and so he asks the question, Rightly assuming that the rabbis were a little stingy with their forgiveness. After watching Jesus, he concluded that the rabbis actually weren't going far enough. And so showing his magnanimity, the idea that Peter was going to be bigger and better because of his exposure to Jesus, he proposes that the limit be moved, bumped up to seven more than doubling what the rabbis required. And by the way, we know that seven in Scripture is the number of completeness. So Peter thought, if I get to seven, then I have completely forgiven. That's the number, right, Jesus? And I'm sure you wanted a pat on the back. Surely seven is enough. And then Jesus, with what I think to be maybe a little bit of good-natured teasing, says, not seven times, Peter but 77 times, or some of your translations say 70 times 7. So was it 77 times we need to give, or 490 times we need to forgive? The point that Jesus is making here is that Peter was thinking about it the wrong way around. There should be no limit to forgiveness. Really? Really? No limit. To put a cap on it means that you're really not forgiving at all. You know what you're doing? You're postponing revenge. You're just postponing it. You're holding out until you are free to release the full force of your vengeance. And by the way, if you're counting offenses, you're looking for them. And if you're looking for offenses, you're going to find them. And when you find them, unless you understand that forgiveness is forever, that we just keep working toward forgiveness, then you're just biding your time until you're free to explode. Jesus' message is that the objective is not to forgive up to a point. 
this is as far as I'm going to go with this forgiveness thing. His message is that we are to live our lives fighting for forgiveness wherever it's needed and, by the way, reconciliation whenever it's possible. Doing so because, as we learned, as we stated, if, if I can forgive, then I'm removing toxins from my heart and I'm making space, the possibility that dead relationships can live again. That's what happens through forgiveness. But that's not all Jesus is going to teach. He's also sending the message aligning with an important truth that is carried out all throughout Scripture and reinforced by Jesus in this parable. And I'm going to reveal it in a moment. Let's look back at the story. Look at chapter 18 of Matthew, beginning in verse 23. This is the parable that Jesus told in response to Peter's question. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. Wow. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I, I, I'll, pay, I'll pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt. And let him go. It's a good day for the servant, right? But before we go any further, I, I think it's important that we understand what, what's happening here. And we first need to wrap our brains around the massive debt that this servant was dealing with. The NIV says that he owed 10,000 bags of gold. If you're reading any other version, many other versions say that he owed 10,000 talents. A talent or a bag of gold, same thing, weighed about 60 to 90 pounds each and was the equivalent of 6,000 denarii. Okay, now one denarius is the equivalent of a day's wage for the average blue-collar worker in Jesus' day. One day's wage. Okay? So, when you do the math, you conclude that the servant actually owed the king 60 million denarii. 60 million days of work. The equivalent of 164,000 years of wages. This is not an insignificant sum. As a matter of fact, it's staggering. It was more than any one person could ever hope to repay. As a matter of fact, it was absolutely impossible. Repayment would never happen. Of course, those of you who wonder how people get in the fixes they're in with their finances, you're thinking, how in the world... Could you ever get in that much debt? And this was before Amazon, so I don't 
It wasn't because they were ordering too much. It's, but it's a good question. But remember, Jesus made the master king in the beginning, right? And it would be assumed by those who were listening to Jesus that the servant was something like a governor of a province. Or if you think back to the prophet Daniel, he was a satrap. And satraps were in charge of provinces within the kingdom. And those satraps or those governors would then tax the people, collect all the taxes. And then when the king called them to bring it in, they would bring it to the treasury. Whether, whether it was through mismanagement, embezzlement, or both, when this servant was called upon by the king to deliver the payment, he didn't have the funds. They, they, they disappeared. And it was a cut and dry case. The servant would have to be held accountable for the debt. And since he could never pay back such an enormous sum, the king ordered that everything he had be sold, that he and his family be sold into slavery until he could pay back the debt, which we know was impossible. So it was essentially, it was essentially a life sentence of slavery. Now, in a desperate attempt to maintain his freedom. The servant falls down on his knees and begs the king for what? Did he ask for forgiveness? Nope. He asked for patience. Patience. All he needed to make up the debt was just a little more time. It fooled no one. Everyone knew it was impossible to make up the debt. The king wasn't fooled either, but in a move that shocked everyone present, the king took pity on him. Compassion. He entered the pain of that moment, and he did two things. He canceled the debt, meaning he shredded the files. He canceled the debt. And he set him free of his obligation. You know what that was? It's an astonishing act of generosity. Generosity because he forgave. It's giving. Forgiving. It astounds us because... It meant that the king absorbed the debt. See, when, when there's debt, the only way for the books to be balanced is for someone to pay. Debt doesn't just disappear. They may cancel all the student debt in our country, but somebody's going to pay. Because if there's a debt... Someone pays. Debts don't just disappear. The system, by the way, is set up so that if you owe, you pay. If I owe, I pay. But in this case, the king said, you know what? You owe, I'll pay. That's forgiveness. 
you owe, I pay. When someone does us wrong, they owe us. And through forgiveness, we pay the debt. Now because the king paid, the debt was canceled. And the man was actually free to go. Free. Can you imagine what that felt like? It, it, it was redemption. He was losing his life, flashed before his very eyes, and the king said, no, you know what? You're forgiven. If Jesus ended that story right there, we, we would have learned a lot about God and his kingdom. Because obviously, the way the story is set up, the king represents God. So who's the servant? We are. We are all of us the servant. Jesus' point is that we have accumulated an astonishing sum of moral debt before our holy God. That's what sin is. It is a moral debt before our holy God. And our sins, that debt is not just growing incrementally, piece by piece. It's actually growing exponentially. Every time I'm less than loving to another person, every time we have lustful thoughts, we tell lies, we choose judgmental attitudes, every time that debt is growing exponentially. Truth is, every time we do something we shouldn't do or fail to do something we should do, that debt grows. We're, we're so indebted to God because of our sin that we have no hope of ever repaying it. Now, we need to understand that. It is so it's such a central truth to the gospel. We can't do anything to pay for our sin debt. No amount of good works ever going to make it up. We could live sin-free for the next 164,000 years and we would never repay the debt of sin. Why? Because the scripture teaches us that just one is enough to offend the holiness of our righteous God. And our self-effort will never make up for it. We can't erase our sin. Why? Because if we owe, he has to pay. We, we, we can't pay it back. We can't make it right. And the good news of the gospel is that God said, y'all owe, I'll pay. That's why he sent Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son so that we would be forgiven. He paid the debt. And when we place our faith and trust in Him, we, like the servant, are free to go. 
Jesus paid the price for our sin in blood so we could be free. He he did it on the cross. That's where our victory was won. And like the servant in the story, if, if, if we receive that gift by faith, we've been set free. But that, that's actually not the lesson Jesus is teaching because the story's not over. There's another point he wants to make. He's not just teaching about God's forgiveness, about God's willingness to shred the files of our offenses. He's actually talking about our willingness to shred the files of someone else's offenses to us. Now let me ask you a question. Is that easy for you? Are are you predisposed toward a lifestyle of forgiveness? See, the reason that Jesus begins with God's forgiveness is because that's where forgiveness starts. Remember, forgiveness comes from God, and it is his, maybe his last, in a way of speaking, it's his last act of creation. He creates forgiveness in response to the presence of sin. So what does, what does Jesus want us to know about forgiveness? Let him finish the story beginning in verse 28. Now remember, the servant has miraculously had all his debt forgiven, right? But when that servant went out, he left the room, the very room he got his life back in. When he went out, he found one of his fellow servants, hunted him down, who owed him a hundred silver coins. Okay, so he owed 10,000 bags of gold. A fellow servant owes him a hundred silver coins. Got it. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to He did exactly what he did in the presence of the king. He fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. He refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't I have had mercy? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger. His master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. You know, perhaps, perhaps more shocking than the king's willingness to forgive is the servant's response to his debtor. As soon as he leaves that magical moment of redemption, 
the meeting where he was given his life back, he chases down another servant who owes him a hundred silver coins. A hundred of them. One, One scholar said that saying the difference was a million to one doesn't even begin to communicate how little he was owed. And when he sees this servant, he flies into a rage. He literally grabs the man and begins to choke him, demanding that he pay him back immediately, right now. And that man breaks free, falls to his knees, and begs for patience. Same speech. Different audience. And instead of following the king's lead, he refuses to take pity on him. He has the man drug off and thrown into prison until his debt was fully paid. Now, unfortunately for our heartless servant, some of the men who were in the meeting with the king happened to be out in the hallway when he found his debtor. They witnessed this pathetic scene. And they were appalled. You know what they did? They, did that? they made a beeline back to the king and told him everything. And now it was the king's turn to rage. Does that, does that surprise you? He, the king responded in anger. He, he had the fellow servant, he had the servant, the first one, recalled and confronted him about his lack of mercy toward his companion, his debtor. And the scripture says, in anger, in anger, he repealed the cancellation of the debt. He had the man thrown into jail to be tortured until he could pay back everything he owed And we know that wasn't possible. Now I want you to look how Jesus concludes the parable. And it's time for us to be shocked. Listen to what he says in verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you. Okay, let's just slow down a minute. This is how... My heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Does that sound right? Jesus is always right. So let's just Let's just think about what we're hearing. Is Jesus asking, is he saying that an 
unwillingness to forgive someone from our heart, which means through and through, true forgiveness. Is he saying that an unwillingness to forgive can damn us to, for eternity? Is, is the message here that a refusal to forgive, that, that's the unpardonable sin? No. Okay, no. Jesus tells us what the unpardonable sin is earlier. It's, it's rejecting Christ through the message of the Holy Spirit. So, what is the message? Now, we have to remember that Jesus is teaching Peter and the other disciples about forgiveness. How it works. First, he says that it must be offered continuously. There are no limits on forgiveness. For those who have been forgiven by God, we, we must engage in forgiveness continually. We should always fight to forgive. And by the way, sometimes it is a fight. There's nothing easy about it. And sometimes life happens and it hurts. And, and there, there are times where you can't see beyond your circumstances to, to comprehend how you could ever forgive. Because the pain is just suffocating. But we should always fight to forgive. And with this parable, what Jesus is doing is teaching them how life-giving forgiveness actually works. Okay, Forgiveness isn't like the Christmas present that the kindly grandfather gives to the pouting grandchild, even though the pouting grandchild didn't bring a gift for anybody. Okay, That grandchild's always going to get a gift. It's, it's not like the meal that's going to be waiting on you at home, even though you choose not to feed someone that's needy. Okay, we, we, we just expect Christmas presents from our grandparents. We expect to eat when we get home, whether we've been good and generous or not. Forgiveness is different. It's different. It's more like the air in your lungs. There, there's only room for you to inhale the next lungful of forgiveness when you've just breathed out the first one. If, if you insist on withholding forgiveness, refusing to give someone the kiss of life, that, that they desperately need then you won't be able to take any more in yourself and by the way if you're not breathing in and out you're going to suffocate quickly so we don't just breathe in God's forgiveness breathe in more of God's forgiveness breathe in more of God's forgiveness you have to exhale you have to give 
it away. In this metaphor, the the lungs are either open or they are closed. If they're open, able and willing to forgive others, it will they will always be open to receive God's forgiveness and love. But if they're locked up to the one, what Jesus is saying is they're going to be locked up to the other. To live in God's mercy, we have to give God's mercy away. To live in God's forgiveness, we have to give God's forgiveness away. It is the air we breathe. Jesus is not here talking about how to get to heaven. Okay? We, we, he does that elsewhere. In this parable, his concern is, listen, the seriousness of failing to mirror God's mercy to others. How does God respond? Well, according to Jesus, just like the king in the parable did, when we refuse to extend God's mercy to others after having received his mercy, he responds with righteous indignation. Listen, it is the ethic of our faith. Forgiveness is the ethic of our faith. If we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and been forgiven for our sins, then the expectation of God is that we will consistently fight to forgive others. That's the message. Seven times? No, no, no. No. Stop counting. It's a lifestyle. See, what we know and what Jesus was teaching is that when we have received God's mercy and forgiveness, it's transformative. And the fruit of that transformation is that we forgive. Did you notice how shocked the guys were that were standing around watching? They, they were in the meeting with the king. The king forgives this enormous debt. They walk out. They can't believe what the king did. And then the next thing they see is that same forgiven servant choking someone else who owes him money. And they're appalled. And they're the world we live in. The world we live in knows that if there's any group of people who should be radically forgiving, it is those of us who claim to be forgiven by Christ. Forgiveness is the air we breathe. It's it's the life that we're called to live. You, You know what was interesting about that story? If you remember, the king canceled the debt and told him he was free to go. But he really wasn't free, was he? If he had been free, being consumed by money and offenses, would he have choked the other servant? No. 
You know what? He wasn't free because he really didn't receive the mercy of the king. You know what I believe he thought? I got away with that. I imagine he was envisioning getting home and telling his wife about this incredible speech he gave to the king that just inspired him to cancel his debt. Oh, man. We got away with that one. He wasn't free. He was still bound up because he never really received the mercy. And so he wasn't able to give it away. Now, obviously, our takeaway today is that if we have received the amazing grace of God, then our hearts will be transformed to the point that we will live up to God's expectations and fight to forgive. A subtle point that Jesus was making here is that no matter how painful someone has hurt you, no matter how devastating their choice, it pales in comparison to our offense before God because of sin. And the price that you're required to pay for someone else's sin against you is far less than the one God was willing to pay for our sin against him. Remember, he sent his son to die so we would be forgiven. If you're failing to live in forgiveness toward others, then what you have to do is go back to where it started. You need to reacquaint yourself with God's amazing grace. Go, go back and celebrate the grace of God's forgiveness. Let that be the air you breathe. And then, by God's grace and in His power, you'll be able to forgive others. to say, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, let me tell you, I have great news for you. Jesus stepped out of eternity into time, lived a perfect life, died on the cross so you could be forgiven and connected with your heavenly Father, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And all you have to do is receive it, celebrate it, thank God for the gift of forgiveness. And then having received it, give it away. Breathe in and out. And you'll be free.
Father, we're so thankful for the truth of your word. We're thankful for the fact, Lord, that Jesus taught so clearly about our need to be forgiving because our forgiveness is proof of having received your forgiveness. Help us to live in this ethic of forgiveness where we shred the files and walk in freedom. Lord, I I pray for anyone that's in this room that doesn't know you or is watching online that hasn't come to the place where they've received Christ's forgiveness. I I pray today, Lord, their hearts would be open to understand the debt of sin they owe and the fact that it is paid in full when Jesus died on the cross. Lord, by your Spirit, lead them to walk in the freedom of your forgiveness. And Father, for those of us who have received that gift, I pray that through the leadership of your Holy Spirit, we would never get over it and we would always understand and accept the responsibility that we have to forgive others just as you in Christ Jesus have forgiven us. Lord, let us be marked by a forgiving spirit that brings you glory and honors your love. It's in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Will you stand with us?